So we're continuing on in Philemon, and the, this is the third message, and I promise we're going to end the book. It's only one chapter, 25 verses, right? But uh, uh, the first message we looked at, the beloved. The second message we looked at, rescue. And this morning we're going to look at intercession, intercession. And I love that we can intercede for each other as Christians. You know, to intercede means to intervene, to plead, and to step in. When your children are in danger or need help, you know, as a loving parent, you're going to step in and you're going to help. When, when Lily, our youngest daughter, uh, was a few years old, she climbed up on the kitchen counter, which is really high, like, and, and she could not get down. And it's kind of like an adult like looking down at the Grand Canyon, like, ooh, you get that feeling, like, ooh, got to step back. That is, that is huge. Well, when you're a little kid, obviously, you look down from the counter to the floor and you go, that's, that's a long way. And so I hear her crying, you know, and then as a parent, I run fast to see what's going on. Did she hurt herself? Did she fall off the bed? What happened? And I see her standing on the counter on the edge. And so quickly, I just grab her and I pull her close to me. I'm hugging her and I'm telling her, Lily, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. You're not hurt. You didn't fall. I'm just, I'm trying to comfort her. There's nothing to worry about. You're going to be safe. To intercede means to step in and help, to intervene, to do what you can to help those you love. And so God loves his kids, and as we are living out our faith, he intervenes in our lives, and he helps us constantly. I mean, think of, think of all the times the Lord has stepped in and helped you. He helps, he heals, he protects, he provides, and I'm so blessed that the Lord looks out for us, right, for me, for you. And, but as believers, what we have the privilege to do is to intervene on one another's behalf as well. We have each other's back. And we do that, you know, through prayer, through being there. When I think of intercession, I think of Moses. And we just started Exodus last midweek, last Wednesday, right? And so I'm looking a lot at his life lately as I'm studying through Exodus. And this 80-year-old believer was called by God to lead millions of Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses did not jump at the chance to step into his calling. He didn't say, finally, Lord, you chose the right one. I'm ready to go. Like, right, he was, he was kind of timid. He actually began making excuses as to why he wasn't the right man for the job. After all, 40 years before, he did intervene on a Hebrew's behalf, and he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. And so that didn't turn out that well when he went to the desert because of it. So he was, he was hesitant, right? He made excuses. Lord, who am I to lead these people? Like, I can't even speak right. And yet the Lord answered all of Moses' excuses with assurances. So the Israelites were freed, and almost immediately they rejoiced, and they said, Thank you, Moses. You're the man for saving us. You're awesome. They said, God is amazing. We're going to trust you now and fully and forever, right? They, they said, We are so thankful and grateful for being freed from slavery that we were in for 400 years, right? They said, Moses, we're going to listen to every to you every step of the way because God is calling you to lead us. What do you want us to do? That was not their heart. (laughs) That would have been great, but it wasn't even close to their heart. Here's what the people did. They complained. They whined. They quickly forgot how good freedom actually is. When the children of Israel began to be over complainers, what did God do or how did he react? Well, he was going to take them out. God is never pleased by complainers. You you know, the Lord doesn't say, well, you know what? That gripe that you have, that thing is super justified. Complain about it. That's totally fine. Keep on complaining. All good. 
Now, over and over again in the desert, the Lord tell, uh, told Moses, basically, these people are complainers. I'm going to do something about it. And every time, what, what did Moses do? Moses said, yeah, take them out. I'm kind of annoyed by them. You know, their whining is just, I'm sick of it. No, he didn't say that. What he did was he got face down and he interceded in prayer for them. Moses cared about the people of God. And as their leader, he wanted them to make it through. And so when God was angered at their disobedience, Moses got down and prayed for them that God would have mercy on them and that God would spare them. And the Lord did spare them. Intercession, it's one of the most beautiful acts of love that there is for us as Christians. We do not have to pray for another. We, we have the privilege of praying for one another. When you integrate intercession into your prayer life, you're demonstrating the kind of love that Jesus had. Integrate intercession. Remember what Jesus said to Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus who royally failed. Right? He's known for his rejecting the Lord. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 21, 31 to 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, yet his faith failed. This shows we don't control the outcome of others, but that should not stop us from praying for each other. So we've been studying through Philemon, and we come to the last nine verses. We have learned a lot about Paul, about Philemon, about Onesimus. Paul was appealing to Philemon out of love concerning Onesimus. Remember, Paul was making clear that Onesimus was not a slave anymore. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a fellow believer. Paul was an intercessor, and he loved to be prayed for, but he also loved to pray for others. And so today we're going to see a few things. Number one, we're going to see Paul's promise. Number two, we're going to see Paul's confidence. And number three, we're going to see Paul's conclusion. So his promise, confidence, and conclusion. And so again, let's pray and then we'll get into these verses. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. God, we just pray that my words would fall to the ground and that your words would be lifted up, that they would accomplish the purpose in which they're uh, being sent out, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts by your word, by your Holy Spirit, God, and that you would work and just use these scriptures to meet us exactly where we're at right now in life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philemon, verse 17 to 19, it says, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. He said, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. So Paul's promise so here we see Paul giving a personal promise of restitution towards Philemon. Right? He writes, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. So as we've already seen, Paul essentially stood beside Onesimus and requested Philemon to have mercy on him. And, and remember, he was not a slave. He was a son now because Onesimus was saved. Paul's saying, hey man, hey dude, like we are partners in the gospel. We want to get the truth out together. So 
treat Onesimus like you would treat me. We've heard the saying that treat others as you like to be treated or something like that, right? Well, that was stolen from Jesus, his words in Luke 6.31, where Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. So Onesimus is a soul saved, right? And now a servant of Christ, not a slave to any man. Essentially, the bold move that Paul took was that he stood beside a slave and essentially said to the master, yes, under the law, he deserves to be punished, but this slave is my friend, you punish him, then it's as if you punish me. I mean, that's bold and against cultural norms of the time, but Paul gives Philemon the right perspective. This is a picture, really, of what Jesus did for us as well before our master, God the Father. What an amazing picture. Jesus came down and said, you know, these people, we're all sinners, right? But I'm going to die for them. I'm going to take the payment, you know, the punishment that they deserve on their behalf. Jesus took our place, took the punishment that we so deserve so that we could have a right standing before him. And what Paul says here is a statement of sacrificial love. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. And so the, uh, the, the point here is that Onesimus must have stole something from Philemon when he ran away. And this would have been a capital crime back in this day. Paul asked that the value of what had been stolen be charged to Paul's account. Basically, Paul was like, you know that wrong thing that Onesimus did? Well, I'll pay for it. No, no matter what it is, how much is it? I got it. He didn't even know what it was, but he said, whatever it was, I'll pay it back. Because Paul loved Onesimus. He was a brother now, and he wanted to help. He said, I don't care about the consequences or how much it costs. I'll take the blame. I'll take the repercussions. Just lay it on me. It's all good. Paul may not be praying at this moment, but with his words, he's saying, I'll take the punishment. I'll make the payment for my friend. Just like Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, which was death. Yes, we broke all God's laws, and we were sinners, and, and, and we messed up, And we could do absolutely nothing to pay for our sin. But Jesus took our place so we could be set free. Once we were sinners, right, but Christ died for us, Romans says. So we could live eternally. Paul says, "I, I, Paul, I'm writing with my own hand. I will repay. And so Paul was so adamant that he gave Philemon kind of like a personal IOU, like written by his own hand in this letter. Paul laid himself out for Onesimus. And I love John 15, 13. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this is true Christian love. Laying down your life. You know, two of the uh, main resources that we have, two of the main things that we have to give, right, is like time and money. That's what we have. And so it's like with that, we can help others, intercede for others, do what we can with what God has blessed us with is what Paul was doing. This is true Christian love. Paul goes on, he says, hey, not to mention to you that you owe me, even your own self besides. Paul's super straightforward here. I love it. He just says, you owe me. So Paul mentions to Philemon that he has a lot of credit on his account because Philemon owed Paul his own self, he says. Paul could afford to pay Onesimus' expenses because there was a sense in which Philemon owed Paul his salvation. Because remember, Paul... Because of Paul's ministry, Philemon came to know the Lord, and he was saved. 
Paul's like, you know, you kind of owe me, man. So I, <laughs> I want to repay Onesimus' wrongs. It's time to see him differently now. Again, he's no longer a slave. He's a son. Don't you love Paul's heart? He vouches and intercedes for Onesimus, just like Barnabas vouched for Paul when Paul was Saul. His name was before, but then he was saved, became Paul. When Paul was newly saved, he was on fire spiritually for the Lord. He was passionate, maybe a little bit too passionate for the other believer's taste, you know, and, and he was ready to change the world. He's like, let's go. You know, he was super straightforward, very intense, right? You ever know anyone just intense and you're like, I'm exhausted after five minutes. Like, they're just an intense person, too intense for me. I'm, ex- I'm tired. All the believers thought Paul was crazy, most of them, and scary. And, and Barnabas, he came alongside him, though. Everyone's like, this guy used to kill Christians. He used to, like, you know, consent to their deaths. He used to do this and drag men and women out of, out of their homes. You know, he was going to Damascus on the Damascus Road with a letter with breathing threats of anger and violence. And now he's saved? I don't even believe it. This guy's crazy. But I love what Acts 9.27 says. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord... And that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I love what Barnabas does. He comes alongside Paul and he vouches for him. You know, we talk a lot about sharing our own testimony. It's a powerful thing to share your own testimony. But Barnabas is like, hey, check this guy's testimony out. <laughs> like, you know, you should, even sharing someone else's testimony of what God has done is still powerful. This guy, his lives were changed. She used to be like this. She used to be like this. But then God intervened, and look at them now. It's crazy. And so Barnabas, when everyone else counted Paul out, Barnabas came alongside and said, no, he's good. <laughs> he's a believer. He's with us. Like, he's, he loves the Lord. It's true. So we see Paul's promise. And the second thing we see is, is Paul's confidence. In verse 20, and 20, 20 to 22, Paul says, he writes, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Verse 22, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall, I shall be granted to you. Paul's confidence. So Paul writes, let me have joy from you in the Lord. So the translation of the word joy here is actually the word profit which is the root word for the name Onesimus. So Paul used a play on words with the name Onesimus to communicate a serious request. Paul is basically saying to Philemon, let me have Onesimus back from you in the Lord. Paul writes, refresh my heart in the Lord. Remember in uh, Philemon verse 7, Paul was writing that Philemon was a man who refreshed the saints, who refreshed other believers. Being around him was just refreshing, was spiritually refreshing. You ever just hang out with someone and you're just like, I'm refreshed in the Lord, I'm encouraged. And, and maybe you're that for someone else, but we refresh one another. That's what Philemon was. But now Paul, Paul specifically told Philemon a way in which he could refresh his heart. Paul's saying, Philemon, you can refresh my heart by allowing Onesimus to stay with me. So that's a good question. Do our words and actions bring refreshment and encouragement to the believers around us. How will unbelievers know that we are Christians? Well, Jesus said in John 13, 35, 
Did Jesus say, they will know you by your criticisms and sin sniffing and your bad attitude towards one another? The more you judge, the more you are Christian. No. Jesus says, by, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we don't, if we don't have love for one another, and if we don't get each other's backs and vouch for each other, then who's going to know we're Christians? No one. Paul appeal, uh, he appeals to Philemon out of love and is demonstrating love by vouching for Onesimus. And this goes back to the truth that we are in this together as believers. How good and how beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133. If you, as you go through Acts, you see one another, uh, each other. You see uh, people, they had one heart, one commonality, one goal. Like, it's really togetherness as believers. We're in this together. We're the body of Christ, right? We're not Lone Ranger saints. We're in this together. And so Paul writes, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so Paul's letter, it was chocked full of hope. And apparently Philemon was not a man who was harsh or violent towards others. And Paul had every right and reason to expect that Philemon would fulfill his Christian, like, duty or obligation to do even more than Paul asked, Paul writes, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. So this statement, it really demonstrates the closeness of Paul and Philemon. Paul clearly knew that hospitality awaited him every time he would visit his home. A few more questions. Are we hospitable? Are we kind? Are we approachable and welcoming? I mean, you think about Jesus. He was approachable. How do we know he was approachable? The crowd surrounded him. In Mark chapter 1 or 2, I think it was 1, uh, he became famous throughout the land. People wanted to come and listen to him. He was approachable. Kids weren't afraid of him. They were like, who's that scary guy? No, they went up to him, right? He said, receive the children. You receive me, remember? They weren't afraid of him. He was approachable. Are we approachable? Are we available for others? Paul writes, I trust that through your prayers I, I shall be granted to you. So Paul believed in prayer and prayed often and was blessed to have others praying for him. And here he did not think prayers were some rote formality. He believed that through prayers they would be together again, if not on earth, in heaven with the Lord. So Paul's promise we see, number one. Number two, we see Paul's confidence. And lastly, number three, we see Paul's conclusion in verse 23 to 25. He finishes off and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, my fellow laborers. And if you remember all of these guys, they were mentioned at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. In chapter 4, verse 10 to 17, same guys mentioned. And this proves that both the letters to the Colossians and to Philemon were to the same place, Colossae. And Philemon lived in that city. And Paul writes this, he says, fellow prisoner. So yes, Paul was on house arrest, locked in at this time, but this wording means prisoners of war, used metaphorically. And it, this is a battle as believers. As a believers, it is a battle. We aren't in a playground, right? This is a battleground, someone said. The Christian life, it was never meant to be a breeze. 
with no conflict and no spiritual warfare. It wasn't meant to be easy. If it was, we wouldn't even have to walk by faith. If you're not fighting for the faith, then there will not be any pushback. But yet you'll be in the world and you'll be backslidden. And it'll be even worse. Sometimes it seems so much easier just to say, forget it all. I don't care. I'm not going to try anymore. This whole Christian thing, whatever, it's like it was just a phase. Now I'm going to go into the world. And, and then it, you realize, oh, my goodness, this is even worse. This is hard. This is confusing. This is cloudy. What is going on? If you're, you and I, if we're living fully for God, then guess what? We're, we're in the midst of the battle rather than watching from the outskirts in the safe area. The Christian life isn't a play-it-safe kind of life. It's a battle. But the leader of the charge equips us with all we need to win the fight because the Lord is fighting for us, right? The Lord is fighting for us. It's the war is won, but we have these little battles that we face. But God equips us for those battles. To He makes a way of escape. He says, put the whole armor of God on and continue to walk with me. Walk forward, progress in the faith, and you'll flourish in the faith. But Paul mentions Demas here, and Demas was attached to Paul and ministered with him until Paul's last imprisonment in Rome, where Demas let the love of the world, remember, he let the love of the world lure him away from the faith. 2 Timothy 4.10. This is a guy who started out well and strong and on fire, and let's go, Paul, what, what do you want me to do? Let's, let's do this together. Let's reach out with the gospel. And then little by little, the world started to lure him away, started drifting, until pretty soon it was just separation. He was, he was done with walking with the Lord. He was backslidden. He was out there. And again, we have already looked at his sad progression of falling away or backsliding, but the lesson from that is do not ever give up interceding on behalf of others, even those who have backslidden and, and fallen away. I've, I've heard a few stories where the person who led the person on fire to the Lord that person that led them to the Lord is now in the world. They're even like against the faith. It's like, what? But the person they led to the Lord is on fire, going forward, doing great things for God. But the person that led them is just gone now. They're just out of the picture. They just don't. It's crazy. But this is the conclusion. Like Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So again, this is a conclusion. And we see some godly and clear principles from the short 25 verse letter. Number one, the greatest social changes come when hearts are changed one at a time. The greatest social changes come when hearts are changed one at a time. Now those horrible wrongs or, or laws that we, that we have, they will be eliminated by changed hearts. Now laws you know, they could be changed and they could be super positive. That's a great change. And over time, they may help. But just because a law has changed doesn't mean the heart is automatically going to follow and be like, oh, my heart's changed to you now. I believe that. <laughs> right? It's about the change of heart. But the Holy Spirit can change the heart in a second. Or it might take a while, but God can soften the hardest of hearts. Number two, whether rich or poor, we are all to be directed by the Spirit of God, not by economic status. Let God lead. Let him decide. Let him guide everything for you, every step of the way. Number three, this letter shows that love, wisdom, gentleness, tact, and Christian maturity matter for us as believers. Some people separate attitude from following the Almighty God. They, they separate the two. And, and they're like, you know, I don't care if I'm a jerk. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, whatever. People can think what they want. 
And on Sunday, they're worshiping the Lord, praising Him. And then the next day, they're just yelling at people at work, you know, and it's just like, attitude matters. Attitude and acts and actions matter for us as believers. Paul finishes this letter by, by writing, Amen. Amen means, so be it. And it's like a stamp of approval, right? It's stamp of approval for a conclusion. And so there are a lot of lessons in here. I understand, like, there, it's only 25 verses, but I, I think it was very dense. That's why we took three studies to do it. But some people go, well, why is the letter Philemon even in our Bibles? Like, what's the point? Well, let me just give you a little bit of history to, to end this. In AD 110, the bishop of Ephesus was named Onesimus. And it could have been the same man. If Onesimus was in his late teens or early 20s when Paul wrote this letter, he would then be about 70 years old in AD 110, and that was not an unreasonable age for a bishop in those days. So Ignatius, in his epistle to the Ephesians, makes mention of Onesimus as a pastor of Ephesus next after Timothy. And so it's said that Onesimus was stoned to death at Rome under Trajan, the emperor. And there's also some historical evidence that the letter of Paul, the letters of Paul were first gathered as a group in the city of Ephesus. Perhaps, maybe, Onesimus first compiled the letters and wanted to make sure his letter, his charter of freedom, was included. It's, it's just interesting to think about, you know. But we see in this short letter, we see rescue, we see intercession, we, and we see the road to freedom starts with the heart. There's real freedom in Christ. There's true rescue and refreshment in the Lord. And we get to intercede for each other to get one another's backs. We're here for, we can't do it alone. You might have tried and realized, yeah, I can't. I try, try to be strong on my own. No, that's the American mentality. That's not the believer's mentality. We're in this together through and through. Please don't try and do this life alone, solo. It's a battle and we are stronger together, united and cohesive. Together we can storm the gates of heaven through prayer for one another. Let intercession be integrated into your life. You know, because it's not just about us. It's about the Lord and it's about one another. We're in this together. We're not the... Uh, just the one member of Christ, the hand, the, no, we're the body of Christ, connected. And so stay connected to the Lord, stay connected to one another, uh, even if it's through social media, even if it's through text, even if it's through whatever means you, you communicate with others. If you're not going out right now, stay connected still. Ask for prayer. Don't be ashamed. It's refreshing. We're here as believers to refresh one another in the Lord, now and, and always, until, we, until that day we get to be with the Lord in heaven. So. So that is Philemon, guys. So let's pray.